Well, good morning. I hope that um, you saw that last song as a prayer. I mean, that is a great way to start this morning. And so would you, again with me, would you bow with me? And Lord, just in reflecting on what we have just sung, Lord, more than anyone here today, I pray for myself. May your word that for now uh, several weeks, what I want to share today has been just marinating in my heart, and I pray that it would continue. And may what we sang and just prayed, I hope we'll take it as that, that you'll take your word and it'll be deep in our hearts and it'll grow. And as we leave this place today in this world that we'll be in this next week, that it will blossom and bloom and sow seed and Lord, you will be honored and praised, and good will come to many folks, I pray. In your precious name, amen. So I grew up uh, camping. So my dad took me hunting a few times, and we never got anything. Uh, He took me fishing a few times, and that was like the waste of time right there. If you're a fisherman, I'd like to know your tricks or whatever, because it was a waste of time. But probably more than anything, what I enjoyed my dad and I doing was camping. And so it was just so much fun getting outdoors, you know. And my mother always wondered, like, if outdoors is so good, why are all the bugs trying to come inside and y'all are going outside? And then, you know, we would buy the camping equipment, which, like, was pretty expensive to go sleep outside. And anyway, so mom never understood that. But as the years went on, I thought backpacking would be fun. So I brought my backpack uh, here today, and I just want to tell you, if you ever start backpacking, do not start off how I did. So I thought, you know, you can learn anything on YouTube, right? Like, if you need to fix your car, just YouTube it. Like, there's someone fixing their car, and so just watch them, you know? So I thought, I'll get on there and see what backpackers do. And so for most of them, here's what they said. They didn't talk about what to bring. They told you what not to bring. Well, guess what? I didn't pay attention. Like, what do they know? Like, if I'm going to go out in the woods and spend the night or so, I know what I need. And so this is the backpack I started off with, and I started packing it with all the things I thought I needed. And I left out a lot of things that I needed. Well, it's a good thing I had a buddy of mine go along, Billy. And uh, so we were cooking our first meal after hiking several miles and cooking our first meal. And I thought, man, I forgot that. He goes, I got it. So he didn't listen to the same videos that I did, right? Uh, He just went ahead and packed it. And like everything I didn't have, he had. So there you go. Never go backpacking alone. Always go with someone who has more than you, right? But the thing is, what I've learned about backpacking is you really need to learn how to live by the essentials. Like there are some things you need in life. There are some things that just weigh you down. And so life is kind of like that. And you and I need to live according to essentials because you know this to be true, that complexity, all of us. In fact, I'm realizing as I'm growing older, complexity attacks all of us. 
And complexity always attacks the essentials in life. In fact, if you look at your notes, there's just a little quote, and it says, complexity is the enemy of essential. And like most of the quotes you see in your worship guide, they're usually old dead guys. Well, this one is me. This is one of my quotes after my first backpacking attempt, all right, because complexity will rob you, it'll steal from you. In fact, it is the enemy of essentials in your life. In fact, there's a scripture in the book of Proverbs. Would you read this with me? Many are the plans in the mind of man. Stop for a moment. So we all have plans and ideas and things we want to do. Not all of them are bad, right? But the thing is, many is the word I want you to see. We can have so many plans. But the rest of the verse, read it with me. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And the truth is, all of life, you and I will have to fight against complexity because we have so many plans, but God has a plan. The deal is, do you, our plans, do they get messed up? Do they get interrupted? Do they? Yeah, they do. Sure. In fact, that's why some of you are mad coming to church this morning because you had some plans, like, and uh, something didn't go right, and so, you know, you came into church smiling, but inwardly, like, you could have just, anyway, kicked the cat or whatever. So the thing is, all of us have these plans, and yet if we don't watch out, plans will just complicate what is really essential. In fact, Jesus even told a parable, if you'll remember, that sowing the seed of the Word of God, he sowed those seeds, but some of them fell among the thorns. And what does it say? It grew up and choked them out. And the thing is, life, if you don't watch out, will choke out the essentials. So this morning, I entitled this, The Essentials of the Church. Now, if you would, turn to the book of Acts. You can just turn to chapter 2. And if you are reading through the Bible like we are trying to do together as a church family, we are here in the middle of the book of Acts. And you have already read these passages, so hopefully they're still familiar to you. I just want to talk about a little bit this morning in Acts chapter 2. So while you've got that, I just want to give you a little something, I did not know, a little history. Alexander the Great was an incredible conqueror. And when he would come into a certain people that he wanted to conquer, it wasn't very complicated. In fact, how he did it was very, very subtle. The Hebrew way of life and living was very simple and traditional. And I don't mean traditional. Sometimes when we talk about like traditions, sometimes it's like, oh man, that's so traditional. But you see, for the Hebrews, tradition was their way of life. That's how they passed on their faith. That's how they passed on stories. And so they had these traditions that would remind them of certain things. And so Hebrew living was very simple, not complicated at all. And yet Alexander the Great came along and he was very successful at it. In fact, he never stripped away nationality or culture. What he did was he gave a self-serve buffet. So here are simple people, and yet he comes along and he gives them things, and it's subtle. In fact, let me just tell you a few things that Alexander the Great introduced to the Hebrews. 
He set up education centers to teach world religion, Greek mythology, world history, astronomy, philosophy. And the thing is, now the Jews had some extra biblical stuff to add to their thinking. In fact, it was so subtle, they didn't even realize they were getting infected uh, because it was just simply, hey, here's something. You might do something with it. You don't have to. Number two, he introduced Greek culture through athletics. It's interesting. This type of competition was largely to a Jew very foreign because a Jew would say, why would I want to compete with my brother who I am working alongside? And so competition came in, and here's what happened. It's interesting. The priests were drawn away from the, from the priesthood. The temple went wanting because the priests were out catching a game because there was something else to draw their attention to. Third thing, he set up systems of giving new information, kind of like the nightly world news because this news was about world art, music, news from around the world. Not all of it was bad in itself, but the thing is the new ideas exposed God's people to different things that they weren't used to. In fact, it drew the people's focus away from the things of God to the things of the world. And on your notes, there's a little quote from a guy. In fact, I made this quote to myself. It's one of the few original thoughts I've ever had, but it's truth, is whatever you focus on develops. And you and I know this, that whatever we put our attention and focus towards, it ends up developing in our lives. And this is what happened to them as well. Here's the fourth thing. Alexander the Great, he introduced theater through performances. It was the Greeks' idea to have tragedy and comedy performed on the stage. And so for the Jewish mind, this was something that was like they'd never really seen before, that it was acted out, and so their tolerance began to lower. And then this is the last thing that I really want you to see. Their standards for righteousness changed as they sought to make these new cultural influences compatible with their Jewish culture and belief system. And that's where I really want to talk about today is if not careful, life's complexities, we will begin to try to take them and make them compatible to our way of following Jesus. To where we might be thinking, hey, we're following Jesus, we're, we're doing what we're to be, but the truth is it is something far removed than what the Bible maybe has to say about it. And so if you are there in Acts, you know that Acts is the story of the birth of the church. And then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and incredible things start to happen. In fact, the apostle Peter begins to preach because he's empowered by the Spirit of God and he preaches an incredible sermon. And if you'll look in chapter 2, verse 41 is where we'll pick it up. It says that, so those who received his word, in other words, Peter being filled with the Spirit of God, they received his word, they were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to this newborn church. So these next verses, here's what I want you to see. 
that there were some essentials that they stuck to. And, and for many of us, that uh, we've read our Bibles, we read through this, we see these things, and sometimes we just kind of read them, and we're like, we take them for granted, we don't really just think about them for a little longer. So today, uh, for just a bit, let us think a little more about them, because here's what the rest of it says there in verse 42. And they devoted... Now, some of y'all's translations has, they continually were devoting themselves. So here's what the new believers were doing. They were continually devoting themselves. In other words, they saw these things as essential for their life. As a new follower of Jesus in this new thing called the church, they saw some things to be very, very, very essential in their lives. And here's what they are. You probably know them. You could probably quote them. But it says they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all as any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And again, there's a quote by a guy named Warren Wiersbe. He said this about that, their Christianity was a day-to-day -day reality, not a once-a-week routine. And so I, I just want to, like, remind us, one of the essentials of being a follower of Christ and of being a part of the church is that it is not a once-a-week routine. We all know this, right? Nobody would say, like, hey, I know that. I know that Christianity isn't just an every Sunday thing. We can say it, but sometimes what we live out speaks way louder, way louder than what we say. And it is a day-to-day -day reality. I hope you realize that it is essential that you and I have a mindset that it is a day-by-day -day thing. Come tomorrow morning, it starts over. And it's a reality that for living for Jesus is a real deal come tomorrow to wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, whatever. Being Mother's Day for taking care of your children, changing those diapers or whatever it is. It is a everyday reality of following Jesus. But if you will, look at what it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures. In fact, I want you, if you will, take a left from the book of Acts, go to Matthew chapter 28, because I believe that the apostles were also reminding this new church, these people of the words of Jesus, constantly going back to here's what Jesus said, this is how he lived, this is how he left us an example, this is what we are to do and obey. And I want you, if you will, very familiar Many of you would say, oh, yeah, that is the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, and hear, hear it. 
like, man, this is the first time I've ever heard this before. Because many of us can quote this. I mean, we know what it says. But really, do you know what it says? Here's what it goes. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, they're far removed from Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension. Here they are, a new church. The Spirit of God came just like Jesus promised that he would come because he was going to not leave them as orphans, right? He was going to come and live in them, the Spirit of Jesus living in them, and then being reminded of all that he said. In fact, you and I need every day to be reminded of this because whenever you read all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, think about Jesus is about to send these 12 disciples out into the world. They're going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. And they're going to take this incredible message that is left to 12 men, and they're going to take it all over the world. Here's the deal. You and I, if you know Jesus, it's because they did what he asked them to do. But as he was telling them, do you know what he did right up front? He was giving them what? Reassurance. Listen, I'm sending you out, but all authority, like I am sovereignly in control of all things. Like I have wisdom, Jesus is saying, that matches no one. I know everything before it happens. I know it all. Like nothing escapes my attention. Like even today, like some of you in this room, you're wondering like, did God like miss that? Was like he doing something else whenever this tragedy or this thing happened to me? Like did he not take notice? Does he know that this thing really broke my heart or anything like that? And the thing is, God, nothing has ever escaped his notice. And the thing is, you and I need to constantly be reminded of that. In fact, I would encourage you, when you devote yourself to the Scriptures every day, one of the things that you would do is be looking for God's character as you're reading through it. Like, when you read through this, all authority has been given to me, that you'd be reminded that He who is for you and not against you, right? All authority, all power. You and I have the King of kings. Man, we're on the right side. Like we have an incredible God. He's reminding them of that. And then what does he say? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, there's no suggestions in the Bible. You ever thought of that? I mean... I have literally thought, as I've read through some things, like, what a great suggestion. Someone ought to do that, you know? The truth is, and I'm sorry, I, di I didn't do that, so I'm going to go back. Here we go. Go back. Don't be looking at those slides. Go, okay, that's good right there. So the deal is, like, no suggestions. Like, they're all commands. You know why God gave us commands? To provide and to protect, to provide for you and I, to protect us, and to protect his great name, to provide, protect. Why do you tell your children to do and not to do certain things? Why? Because you want to provide and you want to protect them. 
And so when you read the scriptures, do you pick up on what he has commanded us to do? Can't you imagine that church together day by day as they sit there and hearing the apostles share with them, reminding them what? Teaching them to obey all that I taught. You and I, as we read the word of God, we're to be looking like, where is it that I must obey? It's not sentimental reading. When you and I read the Bible, it is to be like, what is Jesus with all power saying to me this is what I am to do. Then what does he say? He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some of y'all's translation doesn't have the word behold. But you know what it means to behold? It means to be held by something. So Jesus is saying here, hey, listen, I'm about to tell you something. And I want you to like hang on to it. Like be held by this truth. I will never ever leave you like he started off with I have all authority I have all power here's some things I want you to do in life and guess what I will never leave you I will always be with you don't you know the early church needed consistent and a constant day-by-day reminder of how great God is how great his promises are, and the promise of his presence. If you will, go back to the book of Acts. If you will, turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Acts 17, 11, as you know, it's going further on into the church growing. And in verse 11, Acts 17, 11, I hear those pages turning. Acts 17, 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. And so again, you see, the essential is that it's a daily thing. These particular Jews, they did what? They, every day, they were in the scriptures, every day. Every day, every day. I want to encourage you that you must be in the Scriptures every day. I know this is elementary, but the truth is you and I must be in it every day. Now, I just want to talk to men. So I grew up, I never read until I was 21 years old because I couldn't. And so the guy who discipled me after becoming a believer realized, hey, listen, for you to grow, you need to be able to read. And so he taught me how to read. So happened he was a school teacher. Hey, any, anyone can disciple someone. You don't have to be a preacher. If it was all left up to the preacher, I'm getting off on a high horse. Sorry, I'll get off in a minute. But if it was all left up to the preachers, no one would get discipled. And so the deal is he was a school teacher and he loved God and he taught me how to read. And I'm telling you, reading was difficult. Whew. Especially that King, I'm not, I'm not knocking it down, but we started off with the King James. And I knew, I knew better. Like, I didn't know how to read, but I knew well, we didn't talk like this. So anyway, I'm sorry if I offended anyone with King James. It's awesome. Okay. But anyway, um, the thing is, I started reading, and it was tough. And here is from me, 
my daily Bible reading started out as a daily discipline, and it has become a daily delight. And the thing is, if you have a difficult time, I just want to encourage you, it starts out. Sometimes it can start out. Maybe not always, but I know for me, it started out as a daily discipline, and it became a delight to where if I miss a day, it's like missing breakfast, which is very important to me. And it's like, I got to have it. I got to have it. I have got to have it. And so again, you might think, well, these are things you would hear like in children's ministry or student ministry, but we all need to be reminded. And so here's my reminder. Set a time. Remember, complexity is the enemy of the essential. And if you don't set a time, it'll probably not happen. That sounds so unspiritual, doesn't it? Like, I got to set a time to read the Bible. Uh, Do you set a time to go to work? Do you set a time to go see the doctor? Do you set a time to be at school? You and I set times because why? They're essential. And if we don't set a time, they usually don't happen. Because complexity will attack your time and your calendar faster than anything. And if you don't have a time, it probably won't happen. And so I would just encourage, toy with the time. Meaning, like, where is it the best time for you? I'm not going to point them out, and I've told this several times, but there's one of the, our pastors. He does it when he goes, when he told me this, I'm like, ah, that, you there's no way. And I'm not going to say his name. But when he goes home after work, he goes straight home to his desk, and that's when he has his quiet time where he reads, prays, memorizes. And in my mind, I'm like, I, I can't do that. But he can. And then we have another one of our pastors. He waits till everybody goes to bed. And then that's when he has his. Listen, I've tried that. I woke up with the Bible on my face. It's like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And so I have experimented with it. And for me, it's first thing in the morning. It's for nobody except one guy, he's sitting right over here. Every now and then he'll text me because he knows I'm up that early. And by the way, I've blocked you at that time in the morning, so it doesn't mess with me anymore. But the deal is, like, I have a set time, and this is what I do. I can't wait to do it. It's how I start my day. And so I would encourage you to start your day and then have a plan. And can I just give you my plan? It's not everybody's plan. But I have a certain amount of time before I need to get ready and I need to get to work. And so I have taken that time and I have halved it. And so I read half the time. And then the other half of the time, I write, I re-meditate on it, and I am asking God and I have to write it down. How am I going to apply this? How am I going to apply this? Like it's a waste of time. If I read and yet it never sinks into my soul, it never changes me, 
It never does anything. It doesn't change my thoughts. It doesn't do anything. It must, what is it doing? How am I going to apply this with my life? And many of you know the statement. But if you fail to plan, right, you're usually just planning to fail. And so I'm encouraging you. This is not like, oh, this is so too simple. But I would encourage you to try it if you have not to really try it. In fact, on your notes, I have something I would just encourage you that is my intake of Scripture essential to me? This is just for you. It might not be that you do it right this moment, but I would encourage you before the day is up, like from 1 to 10, how essential is intake of God's Word into your life personally? And then my second is wherever it lands, what are you going to do about it? What will you do about it? Like, how will you raise more of that, hey, this is essential to my life? Secondly, the fellowship, they were continually devoting themselves to the fellowship. You know that fellowship means partnership, to come alongside, to share with one another. In fact, if you will, take a right from the book of Acts and go to Hebrews chapter 3. While you're turning there, Hebrews 3 you probably grew up, some of you my age grew up, and we had a fellowship hall at our church. Did anyone have that? Just raise your hand. You had a fellowship hall, and that's only where the fellowship happened. You had to go to the hall. Kind of, yeah. And then fellowship growing up, you know what that meant? Pie, cake, and everything my mother didn't make. Kind of a deal. Like once a month, we had this fellowship hall. After Sunday night church, we would go there, and all the kids were in line first and just totally wipe it out, you know. And the thing is, that was like fellowship, you know. Wow, that's what it was. It's not what it is. It doesn't hurt, but that's not what it is, right? That is not what it is. True fellowship is something way more. In fact, some of us, we might be thinking, yeah, we're having fellowship with one another. Well, maybe we're not, because look, if you will, Hebrews chapter 3, start in verse 12 and 13. You know that these folks, that the writer is talking to three different groups of folks, some that have not turned their lives over to Jesus, some who are like right on the fence, some who have become followers of Jesus, but yet Judaizers keep wanting to pull them back in saying, yeah, you can have your Christianity, but like you need to do this also. And so there was a constant uh, struggle to keep the faith. And it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And as you read that, you might like, boy, those people are really like weak. But think about it. In your own life, are there days where you have an unbelieving heart, like you have doubts, you're wondering, is God going to come through? Like, is God real? Is like His Word? Like, can I count on it? Can I, can I do that? Because it says to take care, because this can happen. And it goes on to say, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, the deceitfulness of sin is 
that it will harden your heart and you don't even realize it is hardening your heart. That's how deceitful sin is. Like you don't even realize your heart is getting less and less tender. In fact, it's getting a little more calloused. And why? Maybe, hey, I go to church every Sunday. Maybe I even read my Bible. But yet, having other brothers and sisters in your life is huge. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you have to come to this realization. It is the Word of God, Spirit of God, and God uses the people of God. None of them are lesser than the other. Even though when you talk about the people of God, you're like, yeah, way, they're way lesser than the others. But God chooses to use each other in each other's life. Because you and I need to be exhorted at times, which means to come alongside and give help. And, and so, kind of get this picture, all right? Fellowship kind of means that you're shoulder to shoulder, right? But it's not always just rubbing shoulders. Sometimes it means that you are taking each other by the shoulders, sometimes looking each other in the eye like a brother to a brother and saying, what I'm seeing is not right. Because I love you, I'm exhorting you. This or this. Take notice of this. This is what I see. And hear me. When you and I fail to do that, it's not that we're loving our brother. We love ourselves more when we will not take someone else by the shoulder and exhort them in their life to keep moving forward. If you will, you're in Hebrews, turn right, go to Hebrews chapter 10, if you will, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, again, the writer is kind of on the same theme. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll see this theme over and over again, that whatever stage of maturity you are as a believer, you and I need other people in our lives. And here it says, if you will, start in verse 24, and let us consider. In other words, it means to give some careful thought to another person or another group of people. But hear me, if complexity is in your life, you will probably not really consider other people. Right? Like, I mean, there's so many things on your mind, so many things going on, and oftentimes we are not considered, we, we don't think about like what someone else is going through. And so it says, let us consider how to stir up, fan the flame, kind of poke the flame, get the flame back to burning. One another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You and I are to be considering one another. How can I come alongside you? How can you come alongside me? Of course, we have all these different spheres of influence. The deal is, though, are we considering looking to one another? How we are to take the one another's in Scripture 
Because all through the New Testament, there's the love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. All these one another's, essentially what it means is that we are loving one another. But here, I want to just put this in. All the commands, they apply to children and students as well as adults. As a church, when you and I are doing the one another's, loving, encouraging, serving, bearing, it goes across the whole field, the whole field. I just finished a book by Truett Cathy, Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry I, I just mentioned that because some of you are going like, they're not open today. And that's a bad joke, okay, because I just put that in your mind. Like, Chick-fil-A, yeah, I could have some. No, you can't. Have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Truett Cathy, though, taught boys Sunday school for 50 years. Very important guy. I mean, king of chicken, right? But yet, for him, he saw an essential in his life to invest in the next generation. You know what? He remembered, like all of us need to continue to think about, more people come to Christ at a young age. At a young age. There are more willing to hear the scriptures and to be taught. And hear me, it's not just Christian parents, because those of you as followers of Christ, you can think back to not just your parents' involvement in your life, but how God put another adult in your life that encouraged you on. Mine was Mr. Randolph. He passed away last year. I wept at his funeral because as a young man, he was like my second dad. Man, he would get on to me at church just as much as my dad would. Like, I got it from both ways. Like, I didn't have to just look out for dad. I had to look out for Mr. Randolph because, man, he was going to get on to me. The deal is, he invested in my life. In fact, it was Mr. Randolph when he found that I had surrendered to the ministry and I was toying with the idea of going to Bible college. One day, he came up to me and said, Hey, Jim, I know, I know, uh, your family, I, I, I know these things, and uh, I know you can't afford to go, but I'll pay your way. Now, he got out of it because I never went. God had a whole nother avenue for me. He wasn't my dad, but he would pay my way. The deal is, you know, that God has used other influences in your life. The truth is, even our children here at Heritage need the influence of your life as well. In fact, I just want to remind you of some passages. Many of these are in the book of Proverbs. A man of many companions may come to ruin. In other words, you might have a million likes on Facebook. Those are companions. But when tragedy comes, they're not going to come running. They might give you some advice on Facebook. But they won't come running. They won't be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another. You and I, unless it's close proximity with another believer, we need that. Huge. Confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Or how about this? Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. I mean, coming alongside one another. And so my question is this. Is the fellowship, I mean the real fellowship of one another's, is it essential to you? In fact, this question is so written, you're to ask it yourself. Is the fellowship of other believers essential to me? And wherever it lies, how can you improve on it? How are you going to make it better? Here's the third one. They continually were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. You know, through the life uh, history of the Jews, they kept looking back to the Passover, where God delivered them, remember, from the Egyptians. Jesus comes along and he transforms that into something even more meaningful, a permanent, not just a temporary deliverance from sin, by what? Going to the cross. I just want to read this so I make sure I get this. To the Jewish mind, to remember meant much more than simply to bring something to mind, merely to recall that it happened. To truly remember is to go back in one's mind and recapture as much of the reality and the significance of an event or an experience as one possibly can. To remember Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is to relive with him his life, suffering, and death as much as humanly possible. And then there in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28, it says that we are to examine ourselves Whenever we are taking communion, we are to be looking in light of the cross, looking and examining our lives of how pure our lives are. I mean, that is what communion, the Lord's Supper, for many of you, you kind of grew up with that. What it's for is to remember what Jesus did. In light of that, we would examine our own lives. And like, are we toying with sin? Is there something that I am continually doing? Is there a habit that needs to be broken? This is how the church continually is being purified. So the Lord's Supper was more than just a little act or a ritual. It was meant to consider not others, but to consider the depths of your own heart up against the cross. How is my life being pure and holy? How is it? In fact, we are to be confessing our sins at communion. In fact, we are to be repenting. There's a quote there, one that I honestly found about a year ago. I've been looking at this over and over. I so resonate with it because it says repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself. To as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. And so when it comes to communion, it is meant that we would stop, consider our life in view of the cross. Are we living a holy life? I mean, I have to tell you, I, I grew up in church. We've done Lord's Supper, all kinds of different ways growing up. And at most, it's just been a ritual. It's just sometimes been a, something tacked on. 
Sometimes it's just like, had no meaning. Like, man, that grape juice was terrible today. Like, you know, that's what you're supposed to be thinking of. Like, you know, that wafer, that is terrible. Like, you know, that's totally not what it's all about. It is to stop and think deeply. And for these folks and for you and I, it should be an essential. It should be an everyday thing of confessing and repenting. It should be when we come together and we do communion together, it ought to be an essential thing in our lives. In fact, you have that question there. I want to, if we will, go to the last one, prayer. just want to remind you of the words of Jesus. In fact, you can just listen. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said this. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us how to teach better Sunday school. Lord, teach us how to what? Pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The doors now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because... He just keeps on bugging him. Pretty much what it says. He will rise and he will give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, he'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit who seeks and asks for him? And so I, I just close with this. In my own life, I realize when I am constantly devoting with my heart, really engaged, to the Word of God, my prayers are a lot different than just like, God help me through the day. It's like, would you help me to understand this? In fact, more and more lately, it's, would you help me know how to apply this? How do I live this out? And when I'm in real fellowship, I realize my prayers are more and more for other people than for my own needs. Because why? I'm I'm rubbing shoulders with them. I'm involved with other people. And the deal is my prayers, they go out towards other people. In fact, they go out way past just the people of God, but to people who don't know Him. Whenever I'm really soul-searching when it comes to about my sin, my prayer usually is this quote from a psalm that says, Search me. Know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, 
and lead me in the way of everlasting. In fact, I just want to encourage you to take evaluation. When you pray, what is in your prayers? Like, what really is in your prayers? Jim, what's in my prayers? Because here's what it ought to be whenever you and I are devoting ourselves to the Scripture, to fellowship with one another, to really soul-searching communion and confession of sin. My prayers and our prayers should be what? Should have these in them. Teach me, use me, and search me. I mean, think about it. When you've prayed last, did you ask God to really teach you, to use you in somebody's life, to really search your heart and to know if there's anything in it that is grievous, point it out. Because honestly, that's what I would consider real prayer because it's reflecting what is essential in your life day by day. You know, for all of this year, once a month, we've been um, stopping at the end just a little bit and showing you a video of either a missionary or a ministry that Heritage is involved in. And today being Mother's Day, we'd like to share this particular video with you, and then we want to stop before we leave today and pray for this particular ministry. Would you carefully watch this one? 